0: Smartcast. You are listening to a Mint Production. Brought to you by HT Smartcast.
1: Hi, I am of Call and welcome to another edition of Why Not Mint Money Podcast. The demand for passive investing has grown exponentially over the past few years, even as innovations have ensured that mutual funds now meet the needs of most investors. Neil Borate, deputy editor at Mint, in a panel discussion during the recent Mint Mutual Funds Conclave talked about what is needed to grow passive mutual fund industry. Members of the panel included Pratik Oswal, Head of Passive Funds at Motilal Oswal Asset Management Company, DP Singh, Deputy Managing Director and Chief Business Officer at SBI Mutual Fund, and Radhika Gupta, MD and CEO at Edelweiss Mutual Fund. Let's listen in. Hi, welcome to Why Not Mint Money a person finance podcast where we help you understand basic money concepts and share strategies for you to build your wealth. So let's get started on your money journey. Hi.
2: So before we begin, uh, I'll quickly set the stage for uh, this topic. And it's not a new topic because passive funds have been in this space for quite some time. Um, But their share in the mutual fund AUM has grown massively. So in 2017, when the total industry AUM was 20 lakh crores, passive fund AUM was 50,000 crores. Now, um, passive fund AUM has grown to around 6 lakh crores, which is 16, six percent of the industry AUM. There's been quite a massive amount of growth. And uh, this has not just been in equity, which has traditionally been the focus of passive investing, but in debt and in commodities now, um, And that's something we talk about uh, further into the session. So with that, let me uh, take my first question to Pratik. And that is to do with a certain area of passive investing, which is now emerging, which is fund of funds into ETFs. Now, as most of you know, um, know, further flows into overseas funds have been stopped because uh, the limit has been hit. But, the ETF category is still open. So, um, Pratik, if you could tell me a little bit about FOFs investing overseas. Uh, I remember that some time ago you had a plan to launch an emerging markets uh, FOF investing in an ETF. So, can you tell me more about that?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, uh, Good morning everyone. Um, So, you know, I think um, just to, you know, maybe give a little bit of background when most people think about passive funds they think about you know, nifty sensex but actually there's a whole world or at least in today's today's time there is a lot of options that you are available for you know funds outside that you have you know, mid cap small cap you have international you have commodities you have you know debt obviously which is now a huge segment uh, so you know i think international is one segment which uh, was primarily i would say overlooked uh, you know prior to 2019 20 and I think if you look at most global portfolios, you know, if you look at an, an average investor's portfolio in US or you know, Europe or Southeast Asia, you know, I used to be a wealth manager in my previous uh, sort of experience, and I used to manage money for investors. And I saw that about 20 to 40% of their allocation was actually outside their home country, you know, outside their, um, you know, you know theirs. Uh, so I think that was something which is completely missing. And um, that's when, you know, sort of we you know, got involved and you know, started pitching international funds. and. Yes, you know, I think you know currently the situation is not that great. You know, I think we have there were limits imposed in 2007, and those limits are you know close to being breached, and a lot of funds, I would say most funds today have sort of you know closed their funds, including ours, and we're obviously awaiting you know new sort of limits to come out. So I think that's where you know I think the situation is today. Uh, I do we do believe that you know obviously a lot of the um, I would say interest in international funds is coming because of, of the impressive track record. but you know I and we believe that you know it is a very credible way of you know diversifying your portfolio um, in line with obviously global standards and it also makes sense for uh, it really sort of you know adds uh, I would say an element of you know a non-correlation you know, to your existing portfolio and really gives you that uh, you know I would say diversification. It's only—it's also the only asset class where, you know, your returns will be pretty much the same as equity, but your risk, you know, sort of comes down dramatically when combined with Indian equity. So I think in that sense, it's pretty credible. And obviously, there is a long way ahead. Uh, we obviously await more clarity on, you know, where this will go. But so far, I think, uh, uh, from what you know I know of, it's—it's. It's, uh, we're just waiting for uh, the current macro situation to you know, get better. And once that happens, there's more clarity. Uh, we will see, you know, further limits coming in.
2: Yeah, so I was looking at the P ratios for um, you know, European stocks the other day, and uh, the FTSE, um, uh, the FTSE European 600 index had a P of 10, and India trades at 20. And you know, if you think of the other BRICS countries also, they're far cheaper than India. Of course, there are so many other factors that that uh, come into play. Um, but Pratik, how much is left in this category of FOFs feeding into ETFs? How much roughly leeway is left?
3: Honestly, I wouldn't have the exact figure because uh, 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 but not much to be honest uh, from what from what I gauge uh, so there's two limits you know one is limits on um, invest on funds that are buying stocks um, and um, uh, buying stocks and ETFs abroad uh, sorry uh, just stocks abroad and, and the other limit is uh, on, uh, on investors who are buying ETFs you know so there's two limits. Uh, the first limit, where you know investors who are buying you know, stocks directly, as that's almost uh, exhausted, and you have some leeway coming in for funds who are buying ETFs overseas. So there, you have some uh, small leeway left out there, which is uh, the funds that are currently open right now. But in general, I think, uh, and just to put it out, there, there is obviously opportunity of a lot of new funds coming in the market. Uh, we are still heavily underpenetrated, and obviously, as you said, you know, I think uh, overall. Uh, the story has only been investing in US and US but there is a lot of opportunity for investors to look at, you know, stuff outside the US like emerging markets and developed markets. I think there's a lot of value today uh, that it was a year, year and a half ago. Uh, and I think uh, you know investors will probably take advantage of that uh, over the next year, year or so.
2: Interestingly enough, uh, your, you know, most popular ETF, the NASDAQ one, trades at a premium to NAV, which, is, which ideally should not happen because then you can just go and buy the Nasdaq through LRS or some other route. Um, So it seems a bit of a kind of important thing to be fixed
3: from the regulator from the industry. Yeah, yeah. so so basically, you know, I think uh, uh, it's much so when you look at, you know, shutting down mutual funds, uh, you know, shutting mutual funds is a lot easier because you just have to restrict flows into your funds. But, you know, shutting down ETFs is uh, almost impossible. In fact, you have to delist it, which is a whole process. Uh, so I think it's very difficult as an AMC to, you know, obviously we've given out a lot of, uh, I think, communication to investors as to, you know, I would say, restrict buying and selling. Um, the other angle here is also the fact that, you know, uh, 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 I think LRS is not as easy, not as straightforward than it is uh, buying mutual funds. Uh, I think there's not a lot of, as much interest in LRS as it, as it is mutual funds, there has, there are obviously it's still very expensive. Uh, your fees are quite high, um, even though there are, a lot of it is hidden. And also, I think it's very hard to. It's not as liquid as what you would have in say something like an ETF. So I think um, um, point being yes, you know there is a premium. In fact, I think right now there's a discount. Uh, you know with the last few weeks because you know markets have run up and you know people are now selling and all that. Uh, but yes, you know I think uh, as an AMC, you know we uh, did try a lot in the first few months to manage, but now we just don't have the capital. To sort of, you know, I think make sure there's enough supply on the exchange, um, and um, that's that's basically. Uh, so, I mean, obviously we do work very closely with our, you know, uh, authorized participant or a market maker, but uh, sometimes it becomes difficult for us. And obviously, uh, the regulator is aware of this, and you know, obviously uh, uh, we're trying our best to communicate this to our investors on a constant basis.
2: Right. Now, there's been a recent SEBI circular on how much tracking error ETFs and index funds can have. And how much tracking difference they can have? So it's two percent for tracking error and one point five percent for tracking difference. Um, so Pratik, I'll just finish with you on the international bit, and I want to come to DP sir next um, on this circular. So, insofar as your Nasdaq ETF is concerned, are you able to stay within this circular, or is there an exception for international uh, feeder ETFs?
3: Yeah. So, so there is no exception for international funds. Uh, it sort of is in line with domestic funds. Although we are representing and we are saying that international should be separate, uh, in fact, for Nasdaq it's not a problem because uh, a Nasdaq ETF is still very low tracking error because uh, you know, tracking error does not include price on the exchange. Uh, it's it's what the price of the ETF gives you to the investor, which is always invested in the stocks underlying. So I think it's not a problem for you know our international funds. Yes, it is a problem if you're uh, you know buying stocks uh, in different countries. You know, so if I'm buying a stock in Japan in, um, say, you know, France, Germany, UK, uh, because of the time differences, it does cause, cause uh, it does cause a problem. So I think, uh, yes, you know, there is a... So we have a fund which invests into Europe and Far East countries, where, uh, you know, because of the way a tracking error is calculated, because of the NAV is calculated, you know, there is a pretty high tracking error. Although, for an investor, they don't see this. So I think there we're trying to make a representation. But um, I think overall it's an excellent step, you know, because I think it's... Uh, as per the regulations before, you know the fund has to complete three years for them to go out there and I think uh, um, start displaying tracking error, tracking difference. But now I think with the new regulations, it makes makes things a lot easier uh, for the investor to take the right call. I think uh, disclosures have improved. Also, before there were you know there were sort of varied ways of tracking cal- of tra- of calculating tracking error, but even now that's sort of you know become quite synonymous and same. So I think in that sense. Uh, transparency has become a lot easier, and overall, it's a very good move, uh, you know, by the regulator. DB sir, how do you see the
2: circular, particularly the provision which says that, um, you know, only if somebody is buying above 25 crores can they go directly to the AMC or redeeming above 25 crores? How much does this help in lowering costs in lowering tracking error?
4: No, I don't think uh, it will lower the cost. Uh, see, basically, we have to understand the, what kind of customers, what kind of investors are coming into this. See, 25 crore is a, is, a, is a big amount, see, then you have to look at the which kind of ETF you are talking about. See, now this kind of inefficiencies like, uh, see, ETF being traded at a premium or something, these keep from coming. And the naive investors, they, they, they feel cheated thereafter. How can there be a premium, as you rightly said, how can there be a premium? For 25 crores, I think it's a little on the higher side. Especially, we have to look at the characteristic of the investors who are coming. See, in especially the kind of uh, ETFs which are benchmarking ETFs like Sensex or ETF, the, the people uh, or, or Nifty 50 ETF, the people who are coming are investing in the fiduciary capacity, not in the individual capacity. Now, for them, going through brokers, going through market players is a hell of a problem. Nobody has the approval to invest through brokers. They are coming directly, they are coming, they are investing directly. So for them, If we say you know 25 crores is the limit, all those transactions which are below 25 crores will stop coming into the market, will kill the market. So that's something which we have uh, it out with the regulator also. For the time being they are putting on hold, they are discussing, I think there will be some some relief from that from 25 crores because see this problem, till the time the whole lot of liquidity is there, the size is so big that there is enough supply on the exchanges, this problem will continue. Otherwise, say some discount or some premium will always be there. But there, there has to be some limit to that. So how to handle it, as as Pratik rightly said, they tried their level best. But beyond a point, fund houses can't do much. Say, it depends upon the market, and they don't know. I, I, I remember there was a issue when even the gold ETF, our gold ETF, when there was no supply, was purchased by someone at 10% premium. So 10% premium is, it's, it naturally you will feel cheated, right? So then, then we have to put the systems in place before we, we come out with this thing. I, I think we, we, this 25 crore is is something which we need to debate further.
2: So do you think the solution from a retail investor's point of view, at least for now, is to stick with index funds instead of
4: ETFs? Yeah, that is there. But the, see, of course, then the expenses on index funds are generally higher than the, uh, this and Then that, that becomes... An issue, But index one yes, because then you don't have the live NAVs, you, don't, you can't the intraday benefits. Then again going to to the approving authorities, again I am saying because today when I look at the total size which is at 16% of uh, well the, the business which is coming, out of that 16%, around 13-14% are coming from the investors who are investing in fiduciary capacity, not in their own capacity. So the active investors are hardly 2%. So, so when we are looking at some asset class, we have to look at the total uh, business coming there and what is the characteristics of the investors. So, when you say fiduciary, you mean the
2: big PF funds,
4: EPF, etc. Yeah, or yeah. PF funds, the investor funds, or corporates also, where individuals can't take a call. They have to have a policy that is because they want to be in this asset class, but they don't can't give this authority to some fund manager. They they want to play the asset class. They prop, want to play the market. But
2: note the calls by fund managers. Radhika, how do you see this? Uh, are index funds uh, a good solution? Are they too expensive as an alternative to ETFs?
0: So, firstly, and you know, I shouldn't get into trouble. I think there has been over the last few years, and I understand the importance of cost, I'm not taking away from that. But I think uh, there's been an over focus on cost in the Indian asset management industry. Uh, I think if you look, and I will answer your question, Neil, but if you look at Indian asset management products, especially passive products, in general, we are one of the most competitive passive markets in the world, and I don't think we get credit for that. Uh, The lowest cost debt index or debt passive product sits in India, not uh, the U.S. Um, Index funds, I think, are a very good solution for most investors. Uh, What does an ETF offer that an index fund does? doesn't. It is largely live trading. Now for most Indian investors, they are doing SIPs into index funds. They are long term buy and hold uh, investors. So an index fund works perfectly fine. It may be 5, 10, 15 basis points more, uh, but it's still a very, very small cost. And if you compare it in an ETF, you pay brokerage, plus you pay a management fee, plus there might be an issue of premium. Actually, for most people, index funds don't work out to be, in my view, significantly expensive for a significant number of investors. So, for instance, for us, our equity business is only index funds and intends to be index funds for the time being. And even for Bharat
2: Bond, you do have FOFs feeding into the ETF. So that solution is there.
0: And that was a very conscious call, when Bharat Mond ETF was launched, it had to be an ETF mandate, so there was no question about it being index funds, uh, but at that point an FOF was launched, and you know, let me tell you something interesting about the FOF, when the FOF program was launched, I think the total FOF size was 800 crores, all, all our FOFs put together, and Bharat Mond was about 11,000 crores. Today, the Bharat bond program is 50,000 crores, but FOFs have grown to 17,000 crores. So we see very recurring, regular flows in FOFs and those are usually not corporate flows. There are individual flows. And the percentage of Bharat bond that has been FOF has steadily been increasing.
2: Can you tell us more about what we can expect from Bharat bond? Uh, you know, When is the next tranche coming?
0: Uh, If I talk about the next tranche, that will make news for all the long reasons. So let me avoid that. But I think suffice to say, look, it's a 50,000 crore program today. There will certainly be an issue every year. Um, And, uh, you know, we did the last issue, 2032, last year. Uh, We will do an issue this year. Uh, The timing I won't reveal on uh, this panel, but it's being talked about. Uh, And I think there is also a conversation about longer term Bharat Bonds. One of the interesting things that the Bharat Bond program has done and again putting out some data is put the spotlight on long term debt investing. So actually when we started the program 2023 which was a very short series was the more popular one and 2030 we really struggled to raise money. Cut to today, all the big products are 30, 31, 32. Um, So we are also talking about we have done 10 years can we do a 15 year kind of effort with Bharat bond, particularly with where rates are, it's also good for the borrowers. So
2: you're getting the sense that people will be amenable to even that long a majority?
0: They are certainly very amenable to 30, 31, 32. So I mean combined, those are probably 30,000 crores in size So, and you know when we were planning Bharat bond, I think there was some data that we pulled out that 70% of MF debt assets are under 3 years, it actually probably was more than 70%. Our book is quite the opposite and the other thing is these assets are very stable despite the interest rate volatility.
2: DP sir, um, you know, ETFs have seen probably the most amount of innovation in a, on a product level uh, such as Bharat Bond. But are there gaps? Do you think there could be newer products or newer indices that that should be tracked by either ETFs or index funds?
4: Definitely there's always a scope of improvement and innovations are happening on an everyday basis. In fact, um, see, ultimately the money which comes to the investments is the saving portion which is getting into investments. And when banks came out with the, the flexi FDs and other things, then the uh, reply to that was the target maturity funds. Target maturity funds or these funds were not uh, seen earlier. Right? Now it has come to, to counter the, these flexi and modes, FD whatever you call, that you put it money for three years but you can withdraw any time. So response to that, earlier we had only FMPs which were not available, which could not be sold, which could not be um, see, liquidated. Now, with the target majority fund, we have come out with the solution that you have the liquidity, but you have the target majority and you have the visible YTMs which are available. So, so innovation will keep on happening as and uh, when the the the, uh, the the things evolve in the market, when it's, it's an ongoing basis, yes, there are new indexes, New kind of uh, indices will keep on coming. Now, as uh, Radhika is saying, 2031, 32, two years down the line, it will be 2035. So, all these it's well, an ongoing thing. It's not, we can't say that it's not, then can be hybrid kind of series also. Then, now today we are doing SDS and government securities and could be corporate ones. So, so, what percentage? You so, so these things will keep on happening.
2: So, there's one question that I often get. Uh, you know, today balance advantage funds or BAFs are a quite popular product. But nobody yet made a passive back. Is that on the anvil? Uh, Radhika or DP sir? Uh, uh,
0: I'm sure it's on the anvil. I won't say more from us. I will tell you that, you know, Niranjan, my colleague in products and I were just having a chat uh, yesterday. And I think on the fixed income side, in the next six, seven months, we probably have seven, eight funds, not all of which are the standard target maturity out. And even on the passive equity side, I think we are buzzing with ideas faster than we can launch them. So, I am sure when there is a consumer need for a product, the industry will come out with a product.
2: DP sir, you have a very popular BAF. So, you know, now you can't launch another BAF in that category. But is there scope for some kind of hybrid product which has
4: so Basically, when you talk about BAF, it's basically asset allocation. Nothing else but asset allocation. So, asset allocation, uh, fund of funds can keep on coming when you put in the index different indexes and create the asset allocation fund those things are always that's what i'm saying whenever there's a need you know the product will be innovative. if you talk about the the uh, the asset allocation funds which are available in the market today they're nothing but the different way of calling it we will not call it balance advantage fund but actually balance advantage fund is asset allocation so asset allocation you can make n number of permutation combinations and that will happen
0: the so one thing yeah. that is happening, Neil, is actually you don't need the industry to come out with it now because what has happened is this is a little bit like Lego. All the pieces are there. So you have equity funds, you have debt funds, an investor can actually just create these. There are a lot of people launching FOFs that are doing a combination of equity debt. So we've launched the Legos in some sense. Now people can build what they want to build out of it. And we are people are packaging. I mean, we haven't done it yet, but. People are packaging products, so gold and silver, which is an NFO that's just going on, is a packaging of two products. So bundling innovation in some sense is already happening.
2: Radhika, um, on target maturity funds, both Bharat bond and other target maturity funds, so far the focus has been G-Secs, SDLs, some to some extent AAA uh, bonds. Is there scope to go a little bit further into the credit space,
0: AA? I would love to say yes, but I will say no. Um, I think given, uh, and you have to remember the passive debt regulations have evolved a lot. Uh, So when Bharat Bond was launched, there was a very simple set of debt index fund guidelines. Uh, The new regulations that came a few months ago are, uh, you know, very tightly defined in terms of what you can and what you cannot do. Uh, as much as, and you know, having double A and single A would be very good for the development of the bond market because finally ETFs create an extra layer of liquidity. But given the regulatory framework and given the liquidity in these, um, I see that as a very hard case. In fact, this is something that we chatted about in the context of Bharat Bond with DPAM also that can we start with double A state issuers also because that might. State is state, it would give people more comfort than routine double A. Would that be state PSUs or state PSU? So instead of triple A, right now Bharat Bond program is triple PSU. Can you do double A PSU? But I don't think we are ready yet.
4: DB sir, no, no. But uh, see, on this uh, this point, I think the the national priority is to deepen the debt market, and the regulation, what the way it is happening, is saying something different. There has to be synergy between the two. Today, I mean uh, post this Franklin template saga, if we today, if we look back, we see that, okay, it was, the mandate was given to us, we did it and we had to make a lot of efforts to liquidate, but eventually the 80% problem was liquidity, not the credit, okay? Credit was not an issue, issue was liquidity and we being a bigger fund house, it was easier for us to find the buyers and we were able to do it and we are happy that we have been able to uh, give back almost 100% and accept. One security which is there. Now we have to understand the the issue is more of liquidity. I think in the credit space, we can't compare it with the liquid fund or money market fund. We can't compare it with overnight fund that you will get T plus one redemption. See, actually in India, in these kind of funds, we have pampered the investors too much. We have to be very clear that if this is a credit fund, the liquidation will take seven days, fifteen days. Then this can definitely grow. But, but we have to be on the same page. We have to work towards that. But the credit is a big, big space. Eventually it has to happen. As of now, as Radhika is saying, we are not ready because the thought process is not synergized between all these stakeholders. But once that happens, I think there's a big, big space. For there's a guideline others. in the
0: regulations to take to what DPSA says that if there is a downgrade in the security, I think you have to liquidate it within 20, 30 days. Now, in the context of credit, how are you going to do that? If you have a A issuer, that becomes double A AA-, minus. I don't think you'll be able to liquidate it in tough liquidity conditions in 20 30 days. So, in that regulatory framework, I see it as very, very hard. And also, it's a new asset class. I think give it time. I know uh, Niti, Ayog once had a conversation with me about having a junk bond ETF. Uh, that is the other extreme, which is very, very good. But I think we are in early days. Uh,
2: Pradeep, can we now turn to the third area that ETFs have? Um, come into originally and innovated which is commodities so they began with gold and silver from i guess a year ago but you know if you think of the biggest commodity that has ailed indian investors you know for a long long time which is oil there is no etf tracking oil there is no etf tracking oil companies let's say in the us or elsewhere um why is that Do you think is is that something that a need that can be fulfilled at least uh, as a feeder
0: ETF?
3: Definitely, I think, uh, I mean, the commodity basket, if you look at the commodity basket in, say, other countries, uh, more maybe developed countries, you have a lot bigger range of products. Um, So I do feel that there is obviously opportunity for, you know, I think regulations to come in place to promote more commodities outside in gold and silver. I think even silver, to be honest, you know, it's taken a while for us to get here. I think the conversations for silver ETF or a silver type of a fund, you know, happened about two and a half, three years ago. And I mean, obviously regulations have come in place, which is why you have this fund. And now you have FOFs buying, you know, gold and silver. So I do believe that, yes, uh, there is scope for more commodities. I think the regulator is pretty open-minded that way. And uh, um, um, I can't, I mean, I honestly don't know what the timeline of that would be, but uh, there seems to be some demand for it, as you said. And um, uh, I do believe it will happen. how soon it will happen, I'm, I'm, uh, I can't really say at this point of time. Uh, but I do believe that, you know, I think um, um, uh, for me, I think uh, as you know, we has a panel and also the AMC folks are talking about the industry. Uh, I think you know the difference between I would say, you know, invention and innovation is you know customer adoption. Uh, you know, I think uh, we as an EMC can invent, but ultimately, I think you know customer adoption happens you know over a period of time. You know, I personally, or we at Motlal Oswal. you know, most people don't know this, but we have 27 index products. You know, and uh, we've been inventing, but I think innovation is, you know, obviously happened via, you know, education. You know, speaking of panels like this, going out there and, you know, educating distributors. So I think uh, they seem, uh, yes, we can expect a lot more products coming in the future. But I think that they need right now, the need right now is to, obviously, for a lot of EMCs, you know, to go out there and educate people on what indexes and how it can really simplify your, you know, your equity mining process. Uh, And I think over time, you know, obviously you'll see more adoption. Uh, But I do feel that, you know, stuff like silver and oil, there's a lot of demand for it, but it's quite niche. Um, So, you know, I think uh, once we have, say, a lot of demand coming in place for your broad-based ETFs, your mid-caps, your small-caps, your, you know, I think then you'll see a lot more demand coming in uh, from these sort of niche areas.
2: DP, sir, is there scope for more commodities
3: ETFs?
4: Yeah, yeah, there's definitely, but we have to understand what is the target audience. See, As he's saying, invention and innovation is fine, but the investor adoption. We have to basically do a deep dive on the customers who are ready to put money in this, whether these are going to be traders or the normal customers. I think as of now where we are, there's a lot of scope on simple products and simplicity sales. Before, before coming to all these kind of uh, products, I mean... Just to being um, on my bouquet and creating my large bouquet is is good enough. But ultimately, how much ultimately we are into the business, and so are the distributors. They are into business. So we should be selling. Ultimately, on these things, one thing is very clear: the costing is going to be very very prohibitive. You can't have a large. So before jumping into it, till the time our we get into five trillion economy, I think there is a way off. we will wait for that for the timing.
2: Radhika, can I ask you something that uh, DB sir just touched upon, which is uh, ultimately you have to be able to sell or uh, market that ETF. Now the problem with passive funds in general is that, you know, the commissions are so low that uh, that impedes their growth, at least among retail investors. Institutions do come in, PF funds do
0: come in. Is there a solution or it is what it is? I think there are two parts to it, and by the way, I completely agree with both both of them i'm I'm all for innovation, but quite frankly, the passive industry in India has innovated enough for the needs of most Indian consumers. Adoption is actually the Real name of the game. I mean, you don't need an oil ETF. By the way, oil is not a long-term asset class in any game. 99.5% of Indian consumers, I don't think, need an oil ETF. They need to buy equity and debt ETFs. I keep joking that my large and mid-cap index fund and one debt fund, you know, solves the need. I think two parts to it. One is what Pratik said on continuous user uh, education, and that is happening through forums. Secondly, I think even in the traditional distribution community, I'll give you this example again with Bharat Pond, because it's a very, very low cost product. There was not an uptick at the beginning. That has changed. So distributors are picking up target maturity funds. And I'll tell you the logic, the conversations that we've had. We tell them your competition is not an actively managed fund. It is a bank FD on money being parked in a savings account. Now, what are you earning there? You're actually earning nothing. In doing this, you bring a customer into the mutual fund fold That customer may be a fixed income customer today, but tomorrow he could be a balanced advantage fund customer, an actively managed customer. So, And I think advisors and distributors are wise on that front. So the point, everyone wants to acquire customers and these are great ways to acquire customers.
2: Right. So, uh, if we can have closing comments from Radhika.
0: Look, I think we've made a lot of progress as a passive fund industry. I just uh, did a poll on my Twitter timeline uh, you know uh, a few days ago on some of the most innovative products that have come out in the last five years and social media is not representative I was pleasantly shocked to see that index funds and target maturity funds were there in 2019 I was sitting on a panel like this at NSE about before the launch of Bharat Bond, and then we were having a debate that we don't need Passive debt products. So the fact that we've made this much progress uh, is a very good sign. I think the industry is offering a very wide range of products, whether equity, debt, international. That the regulator has come out with a passive fund guideline means that they are evolving. And I think user adoption is the next step. And I think, by the way, the greatest progress on this panel is we've not discussed passive versus active. We've gone past that debate and said passive exists. And it doesn't need to challenge or beat active to prove that it's noteworthy. Absolutely, Db, sir
4: No, I, I, absolutely agree. there's a niche which is available for the active. There's a, there's a particular class which is available for active. Both will coexist. Both will both grow. Both will grow. And eventually, because more and more fiduciary money will come into the passives, the percentage of passive will definitely outpace the active. That is there. But that doesn't mean that active. The interest of people has going down into the active, because we firmly believe, at least for a decade or so, there's enough alpha generation opportunities in the active parts. So for investors, for common investors, active investor is the is is something which has to be there. Actually, some of the world passive investors will eventually went to go to the active also. That is something which And second is on the benchmark side. I think our, our benchmarks are little uh, uh, not very deep we still have the bank pass for 30 and 50 stocks out of 7,000. It has to grow. It structure. There are structural issues which will happen, and accordingly, the new innovations will also come into the market.
3: Pratik? yeah. Um, <clears throat> so personally, you know, I am a big proponent of uh, the concept of ownership. You know, I think uh, you know, if you look at any wealthy person in the world, I would say 99.9 percent. They're wealthy because they own something. You know, they own real estate or stocks or you know some asset class. You know, very almost zero would have you know become wealthy on a salary. And I think the reason why passive funds are great is because they really push and make it easy for you to own stuff. You know, you don't have to uh, spend time on this. Uh, lower search costs when passive funds is cheap. It's you don't have to worry about performance, all of that. Uh, so I do think that for broader sort of you know if you look at India over the next ten years, if you're looking at say three x, four x, ten x growth in number of uh, you know investors which is definitely going to happen then obviously this makes life a lot easier for people to own stuff So I think in that sense uh, it is it is I, mean, I believe it's pretty important and that uh, easiness is what I think uh, uh, Why you know, it's uh, it's a good asset class to be
1: That's it for today if you have any questions you can write to us at mintmoney at the rate if you want me to cover any specific topic, DM me at at the rate Abhinav at Twitter. To stay updated on this podcast, follow Smartcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn. To listen to more such podcasts, log on to HTSmartcast.com or soon on the next
0: This was a Mint production, brought to you by HT Smartcast.
4: HT Smartcast.